And welcome to Grab a Seat. Welcome. I love it. We're always so excited to greet one another. And just know after the service as well, I invite you downstairs as we have bagels and coffee and continue this time of community and fellowship. Uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, we were going through this pre-service huddle with the leaders and volunteers, and uh, I had to confess that I was, I was really tired. I'm still tired. This has been a very uh, a weary week, uh, and I, tell, I was telling them my, my routine. On Sunday mornings, I wake up at 5 o'clock, uh, I you know, get my cup of coffee or tea, I go into the sermon, and I take a couple hours to memorize it and go over it. Uh, but this morning, I, I slept in. I kept on snoozing uh, until about 6 a.m., uh, and that just kind of goes to show that I, I'm tired. And then during this time of uh, huddle, uh, Chelsea was talking about how there was a sense of tiredness in this room, and, uh, and she was definitely speaking to me. God was speaking to me through her. Uh, and, and I just want to say that could be many of us in this room today, that we're going through a, a season of, of weariness, of tiredness, Uh, whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it is. And I just want to remind you that God wants to meet with you today. And as Chelsea was saying earlier, I want to wake our hearts up. And I really believe that for all of us this morning, that God has something to say, especially as we continue the series of sustainable faith. The whole idea is how to keep our faith moving and active and going without getting burned out, without getting too tired, without, you know, falling off, having this faith as sustainable as it can be. And I believe that part of this morning, God is going to speak to all of us in that. Um, The scripture this morning comes from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 9, verse 25 uh, through 29. And so let me just read this to you. Throughout 40 days and 40 nights that I lay prostrate before the Lord when the Lord intended to destroy you, I prayed to the Lord and said, Lord God, do not destroy the people who are, very, uh, who are your very own possession, whom you redeemed in your greatness, whom you brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. God, remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pay no attention to the the stubbornness of this people, their wickedness and their sin. Otherwise, the land from which you have brought us might say, because the Lord was not able to bring them out into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to let them die in the wilderness. For For they are the people of your own very possession, whom you brought out of your great power and by your outstretched arms. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we can breathe, take in life, pour out life to others. We thank you for your word that is real and is authoritative and inspires and encourages us. God, remind us of what this means in our lives and how, how it actually impacts us and impacts others. In your name we pray, amen. So for, for those of you that know me, know that for several years uh, before moving back to Seattle, I'm from Seattle, uh, I lived in Los Angeles for about eight years, going to grad school and then um, working at a church after that. Uh, and uh, if you've been to L.A. before or California at all, uh, I can almost guarantee or, or guess that you've been to this establishment that I used to frequent uh, several times a week, and it's this place called In-N-Out. Yes, yeah, I mean, we've, they even get an applause from Seattle. 
Right, it's a place that I would go to very frequently. They, some, the one in Foothill, the one in Pasadena, knew me by name. Right, and I remember this one day I was going through, and I typically go through the drive-thru, right, and they have incredible, freakishly good, creepy customer service, right, where they would go out to your car. It wasn't just this machine that you speak to. They would come out to your car and take your order, and by the time you get to the drive-thru, you'd have your food ready, and... They would ask you, do you want to eat it in the car or when you get home? And so if you decide to eat it in the car, they would uh, put it in a box for you, but it was wide open so you can drive and reach over for your fries, right? Great idea, maybe. But I remember this one day, I was so hungry, I didn't want to deal with the line, I didn't want to deal with the bag, I didn't want to wait till I got home to eat, so I went inside the In-N-Out. And I remember I was so hungry, I sat down, never forget this, I started eating really fast, I, I was by myself, and suddenly I started choking. I found myself, it's funny now, okay, we can laugh now, uh, but I found myself choking on the burger. And, and, I, and later I found out that uh, I broke every single rule there is uh, of when you choke. So uh, as soon as I started choking, I couldn't breathe, I stood up and I ran outside out of embarrassment. So rule number one, when you choke, you don't go out by yourself. Uh, you reach out to someone around you or you yell for help. And, and I couldn't cough. That's when I knew I was in trouble. I couldn't breathe. I, and not only did I go outside, I took my soda with me, and I started drinking the soda, hoping that it would wash it down. Rule number two, don't drink water when you're choking because it can make matters worse. And, and I remember at the very least, I thought I was going to pass out. I thought I was going to die. I mean, I was panicking out of anxiety uh, at that time. And suddenly, I, I, I don't know how, uh, but it ended up going down. And I went back and finished my burger and fries, of course. Uh, but it, it's no rock in science. You don't have to be a doctor to understand that breathing is very important. And I remember that day thinking, man, we take breath, uh, our ability to inhale, our ability to exhale for granted. That when you wake up, that when we breathe involuntarily, the system that God has placed in us so we can have life, we forget and we forget that it also gives us life, but it's also this metaphor for, for our daily lives. And it reflects how we function. See, breath is important. See, uh, I had a friend, or I have a friend, who works at Bethany at the Green Lake location. Part-time, she's also a doula. And she says one of her main duties as she works with her clients to mothers uh, is teaching them how to breathe and breathe well. That it brings comfort. It brings a sense of serenity and and peace. And and think about when you work out or when you do yoga, it's all about breath, breathing and breathing well. When you're stressed out, what does your therapist say? What, What do counselors say? What do pastors say? They say, all right, be able to find your breath. Obviously, we know that in order to to be alive, at the very least, we have to be able to inhale and exhale. It's easy. But to experience life and life to its fullest and to see how God is working in our lives, uh, there's something about breath, not just breathing, but breathing well, understanding and taking the time to even breathe that brings us even more joy, more life, more peace. And in this series, as we talk about this whole idea of sustainable faith, we're talking about this rhythm. 
This rhythm that brings life of inhaling and exhaling, that we need to do both. Obviously, physically speaking, but also metaphorically speaking. Inhaling, breathing in, taking in, being poured into, asking God for revelation, asking God for transformation, asking God to forgive and to heal and to bring peace. That's inhaling. God, I need you. God, come into my life. And then with inhaling, uh, there's this sense of exhaling where what we breathe in, we also breathe out. And the way that God has spoken to us reflects the way we treat others, the way that we love others, the way that we care and pray for others. It's, It's a reflection of how God pours into us in the same way we're able to pour into others. It's this what we call vertical and horizontal relationships. And as followers of Christ, to have sustainable faith, we need both, the horizontal and the vertical. We need to be poured into. We need to ask God for revelation. We need to ask God for forgiveness, healing, and peace, and whatever it is. And not stop there, but to have that push on and reflect in our relationships. And if you even look at the cross, it's this, it's this vertical and horizontal line. Uh, and I remember, I'll never forget Dr. Brenda, it's Ultra McNeil, who I respect very much. She says that in our faith, uh, we need both. We need a relationship with God, that's the vertical. We need a relationship with others, a good relationship with others, that's the horizontal. And if we have one without the other, we're missing something. So if we have just the, 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 the vertical, we just have a stick. And for all of us, including myself, that are followers of Christ, when we have this faith that is just the horizontal, we literally, we have a stick. that we want to beat people over about our faith, about what we believe, and we forget that there's aspects of relationships that surround us. And if we don't have the horizontal, the vertical, and we just have the horizontal, we have no foundation. We have no foundation that's found in our resurrected Christ. And so to have sustainable faith, to be followers of Jesus, we need to hold two things together. Two things that bring us the ability to inhale and exhale. And as we continue this conversation this morning, uh, I want to weave in two things that uh, are a bit unexpected or it seems kind of random to connect. But, but this whole idea of inhale and exhaling, we really believe that it comes in two folds. That a part of it, it will continue every week to talk about things that are woven together. This morning, what we've together for sustainable faith is this idea of prayer. And, and not just any type of prayer. We'll talk about various forms of prayer. But this morning, we talk about praying for others, otherwise known as intercession. It's a big fancy word intercessory prayer at the same time we need to exhale or or that's our exhale and our our inhale is sabbath is sabbath in our sustainable faith of our inhale and exhale we need to hold closely in both hands our ability to pray for others and our ability to maintain sabbath a a time and space of rest 
those two meet together. And as I, in the other lead passages, we going, as we were going through this sermon, we, we didn't want to use the word intercession. Because for those of you that aren't familiar with the church or maybe this is your first time and someone dragged you here, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, it becomes a very fancy, churchy word. Uh, but as I was going through this whole idea of intercessory prayer, a.k.a. praying for others, I was looking at the word and doing a little bit more in-depth research on the word. I thought that it was important that we maintain this idea in this word intercession because here's what it means. Inter, it comes from this Latin word, intercession, is a Latin word. The first part of the word is inter. means between. Uh, and then uh, the second part of the word is sedere, which means to go. And so this whole idea comes from this Latin word of, inter, of intercedere, intercession, meaning to go in between, to go in between. So when we come to prayer, especially intercessory prayer, what we're doing is that as we're praying for somebody else, we are going in between that person and God and pleading and going on behalf of God to work and move in that person's life. And as we, was, as we were looking in Deuteronomy 9, the, the story is uh, the Israelites in slavery going from Egypt into, the, into Canaan to the promised land. And God says, Moses, you and Aaron are going to lead these people into the land that I have promised them. But it didn't come easy. There was hopelessness. There was grumbling. There was anger. There was fear. There was uncertainty. I mean, you name every negative emotion, these Israelites felt it on their way up. They got lost. They went hungry, never starved to death, but they went hungry. They went thirsty. And they complained over and over and over again to God, to Moses, to their leaders. And throughout their scriptures, the Israelites would say, I'd rather be dead. That's how hopeless they were. They said, I'd rather be dead then continue on this journey. They said, I'd rather go back to Egypt and be in slavery because at least at that point, I would know where my food and drink would come from. I'd rather do that than be on this journey to this promised land. And in Deuteronomy and Exodus, there's a point where God says, all right, enough is enough. I'm angry and I'm going to have consequences, there's going to be consequences to this disbelief, to this, uh, to this arguing, to this disobedience. And yet Moses comes, and Deuteronomy chapter 9, as we just read, and he says, for 40 days and 40 nights I lay prostrate before the Lord when the Lord intended to destroy you. So Moses said, hey, God was going to destroy you because of your disobedience, but I laid prostrate, which means I laid face down on the ground in desperation, praying for you, praying that God would not do that to you. Does I pray to the Lord and said, Lord God, do not destroy the people who are your very own. There was a sense of negotiation or this conversation that Moses was having with God on behalf of his people. He was the go-between in between the people with terrible attitudes. And here's some of the things that they said. In Exodus 13, it says, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out to this desert to starve this entire assembly of faith. They had no faith. 
They had no hope. Moses knew that. And so Moses steps in, in between the people of hopelessness, uh, lack of peace, lack of direction, and with God the provider, and becomes becomes a mediator. And says, God, give them strength. Give us encouragement. Give us food, even. And later we see that God does just that. See, what we see here, and this is, this is my first point, and the point is this. We possess, you possess, I possess the strength that others need. See, sometimes we possess the strength that others need. And that's what it means to go in between and pray for others. In a time of grief, anger, sadness, loneliness, mourning, anxiety, We've all been there. We don't have the strength to believe. I've had people with sick grandparents and parents and family members going through financial crises, going through relational uh, turbulent relationships, whether it's friendships or marriage or whatever it is. And they they tend to lose hope. They lose so much hope that they, they don't even pray, especially if they're followers. They don't have the faith to believe that things will get better, that they will heal, that there will be transformation. And it's kind of like these people of of Israel, they lost all sense of hope. They're saying, I'd rather be dead. I mean, how many of us have felt that sense of hopelessness? How many of us have been around people that have been that hopeless? And, And praying through intercession to go in between is saying, you may not believe this. You may not believe that God is the healer and the creator of the world that's going to work miracles in your life, but I'm going to believe that for you. And God honors that. God blesses that and saying, uh, you take a seat. Let me take over. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I was giving a sermon at uh, Bethany in Green Lake. And I was telling the story, it was really fresh when my grandmother had just passed away. Uh, and in my family, in a lot of Korean family culture, the grandmother moves in and lives with the parents and helps raise the children. And that was the situation for my sister and myself. And so growing up, I had a mom, dad, and a grandmother in the same house, and she was essentially my second mother to myself and to my sister. And, you know, we were very close. We loved one another. We got along. I mean, we were always together, especially as a child. And then I ended up moving out, going to school and all that, and she ended up being really close to my sister as well. And two years ago, well, she was sick for for some time, she passed away. And I remember when I was preaching, I was telling that story on hope and in grief and in mourning, and I started tearing up. So I started thinking about my grandmother, and then after the service, somebody comes up to me and says, I lost my wife too. And in that moment, there was a sense of of solidarity through that grief. And he said that this was several years ago. And I'll never forget what he says. He says, Prentice, you may not believe this now. 
You may not even want to believe this now, but you will heal. Not, it's not going to be your grandmother back. You're not going to be happy that she's gone. But you will heal. And you will be able to move forward. And you will be able to find joy. And he was right. At that moment, I was, I was weeping right next to him. I, I didn't want to believe that. I didn't believe that. I didn't think I, that could ever happen. And he steps in and he says, you know what? You may not believe that, but I'm going to believe that for you on your behalf in between you and your doubt and your disbelief with God. And I'm going to be praying for you that God does that for you. You may not believe that, but I'm going to believe that for you. Again, it's almost like, uh, like a coach saying to a, uh, a, an athlete or a player that's injured or, or tired, and he says, hey, sit this one out. I'm going to put in a sub. You going to take your place. going to run around, catch balls, do whatever it is that you do. You take a seat. And this idea of intercessory prayer is very similar to that idea. It's when we come alongside people that are going through whatever they're going through, pain, hurt, anguish, loss, and saying, you take a seat. You're tired. You may not believe this, but I'm going to believe this for you, and I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to encounter God, the creator of the earth, the creator of all things that changes lives. I'm going to believe for you that God is going to do just that in your life. See, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's really important. Verse 9, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. That means when we follow Jesus, when we give our lives to Jesus, Jesus changes us and turns us into uh, priests. And in the first century, uh, all, all the way back to the Old Testament, priests were people that would go on behalf of their people. So Moses and Aaron, there were prophets, there were priests to pray for the people, to speak to people on God's behalf. And even some uh, denominations and uh, some aspects of Christianity, there's still people that have priests that act as intercessors, that act as mediators between God and God's people. But we really believe, and I believe theologically, even especially from 1 Peter chapter 2, is that we're all priests. It's this whole theological doctrine of priesthood of all believers, meaning if you are a believer in Christ, you are a priest. You have the ability, you've been commissioned to pray alongside and for people, believing and digging deep, knowing that the power of God is in you, and in your words, and as you reach out desperately to God on behalf of others, that God will do something. Maybe not on your terms. Maybe not on your own timeline. Maybe not the way you want it to happen. But we believe as priests that as we encounter God on behalf of somebody, that something will happen. That's what we call faith. See, sometimes we have and we possess the strength for others that they themselves may not have. Is there someone in your life 
that you need to be a priest for? Is there someone in your life that you need to go in between that person and God in order for God and for them to connect? Who is that person? And maybe as we, when we respond in a moment here that we will go to God and say, God, who is that person that I need to be praying for, that I need to speak on their behalf for because they're tired, because they're injured, because they're weary, because they're hopeless, because they're filled with anger, whatever. Who is that person that you need to pray for and about? Because oftentimes we possess the power that others don't, the strength that others don't, the hope that others don't. And number two, prayer, intercessory prayer is also a reminder that God is God and we are not. When we pray for others, it's a reminder that God is a big God. God's in control. God holds all things. And we don't. One author says this, when I pray for others, something happens to me. Yes, something happens to them. Yes, something happens to others. But when I pray for people, something happens to me. And what happens is that we're reminded that God is in control and we are not. And I know for a lot of us, including myself, that is a very difficult thing to grasp to receive, to understand that we don't have the control. I wish we did. I wish I did. But we don't. And prayer uh, to God for others is our way of saying just that, God, I know I don't have control. And so I plead to you to do something. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 40, it says this, when Jesus was in the garden, when he was praying right before he was crucified, he says, when he reached the place, he said to them, pray, he's saying to his disciples, pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and Jesus prayed. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Even Jesus, the time right before his death, he says, God, Father, here's here's my desire. Take this cup from me. But at the end of the day, I know that you are in control. May your will be be done. Have you been praying for somebody? And you feel like nothing is happening? You feel hopeless? You feel like God can't or won't do anything? Continue praying. Earnestly. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on that person that you're praying for. Continue seeking God and to know that God is in control, that God is all-powerful, and that God knows. And sometimes all we can do is to let go and to surrender 
and to know that God is the one in charge. I mean, if any of you guys, and maybe one day you will, my, my parents, they've, <laughs> they've put up a lot with me, uh, including especially my mother. And, you know, she's visited a couple times, and if you've ever talked to her and, and, and you tell her, you know, did, was Prentice, did you know that he was going to be a pastor when he was a child? She, she would have laughed. She would have said, no way. In middle school and high school, I gave my parents so much grief. I, I would cause trouble. I would sneak out. I would, you know, make dumb decisions. And I would come home oftentimes to my mom crying out of sadness of the decisions I've made, maybe hopelessness, I don't know. But the one thing that she would tell you is that she did not give up praying for me. That in the midst of my uh, disobedience, in the midst of my bad decision-making, in the midst of me getting in trouble, in the midst of me not you know, doing well in school or whatever it is during that time, one thing was for sure that my mom did not give up praying for me, and I'm so thankful for that. Because even in my own time of doubt, of questions, of even pushing away God, that God was listening to my mother's prayer for me. When I didn't have the strength to believe and have faith that there was a God, my mom stepped in and prayed for me. Now, I'm not saying that if you're praying for your children that they'll all become pastors, But what I'm saying is don't give up. Don't give up on the person that you're praying for. Don't give up on God. Know that God is moving and is acting and is doing something right before our eyes, whether we physically see it or not. We have to know that God is in control and that we are not. And lastly, we have to know that prayer is not passive. Prayer is not passive. You know, we always panic. We live in this society where we have to continue to do and work and move and do something. We, we live in a culture where we have to find all the answers. And, and the world knows that. The society knows that. And so if you ever go to the bookstore, if you ever go to the magazine aisle, you know, 10 ways to improve your life, five ways to look differently, three ways to be happier. There's all these quick fix solutions in our lives that our friends offer, that the TV offers, that ads offer. Because they know that we live in the society that we want the quick fix. And not only do we want the quick fix, we want, it, we, we want to be a, a part of that solution. If there's a problem in our lives, I want to be able to find a solution. If there's a problem in my life, a problem with my friends, I want to be able to find the solution and fix it. When in fact there are times that the best and the most powerful thing you can do is actually let go, surrender that step back, and go before God and pray. Believing that the God of the universe cares and hears and has the ability to do something. Prayer is not passive. Prayer is powerful. And it's the biggest and the most wonderful and it's the most powerful gift we can offer somebody else. It's the gift of praying for them. It's a great gift. And we have to believe that God will do something with that.
And this is how Sabbath comes into this. How do we do this? How do we go into a, a time of intercession? How do we go into a time of praying for others? How do we know how to pray for others? And that's through Sabbath. See, I've given full sermons on the Sabbath alone, so I won't go too much particularly on Sabbath. But Sabbath is this. It's essentially it's a time and space dedicated for you to rest, for you to just step back from work, from what takes life out of you and enter into a place where, uh, a time and place that life is poured into you. This is time of vertical. It's a time of inhaling. And in this time of Sabbath, we fill ourselves with the presence of God by stepping back from all the things that need to get done, our checklists, our to-do lists, our jobs, our tasks, We step back from it. And again, Sabbath, at the heart of Sabbath, listen to this, at the heart of Sabbath is not just so you can have a time out, so you can have a break. The heart of Sabbath, again, at the center of that is saying that God is God and you are not. That is the point of Sabbath, that you can work and work all you want. You can can worry about your stock portfolio, your your income, your salary, your upward mobility, your family, your stat, whatever. You can worry about that all you want. But still, God is a control. And so you step back from that. And so even if you step back from all the things that you have to do, that God is still in control. You don't have to do everything all the time, 24-7. Step back. That's our physical and spiritual, emotionally, mental way of saying, okay, I could keep on working. I could keep, you know, developing all this and that. I could be doing this. But I trust God that even during this time, that God is in control, that God is going to have God's way. And in this time of rest, in this moment, in this time of space of saying, God, you are in control and I'm not. I'm going to stop working. I'm stepping back. God speaks to you. God lays people on your heart. And this is also a time for us to also pray for others. And Sabbath is a reminder, this is important, the Sabbath is a reminder that the world is bigger than just our own selves. See, when we eliminate Sabbath, when we forget to have Sabbath, when we don't have enough time to do Sabbath, it's because the world revolves around us. We may not say those exact words, but that's the life that we're showing, that, that life is all about us. I have to do this, I have to do that. Sabbath is saying, you know what? The world is bigger than just about me. It's about my friend who lost his mother. It's about my family members going through a hard time. It's about my church. It's about my friends. It's about my body. Whatever it is, it gives us a time to say the world is not about me filled with others. So how can I pray? How can I intercede? How can I be the go-between between that person and God? As I invite the worship team forward, in our time of response, I want us to ask ourselves this question. Who, who do I need to pray for? Who do I need to go on, to go in between for God and that person.
I want to encourage you that the same God who resurrected Christ from the dead has the power to bring life from death into our own lives and in the lives around us. But what's required is for us to step back. I know we're busy. I know we have our own business to tend to. I know we have our own lives. But in the rhythm of God's creation, he worked six six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And that's the calling on our own lives, too. There's this rhythm that we step into, that on the seventh day, there's a time. Whether it's the seventh literal day for you or whether it's a different day, I don't know. But we need a time and space for us to step back and say, God, you are in control. In the midst of all the things that could get done, that need to get done, I let it go. Just for this time, just for this space. And I say, God, you are in control. And in return, we get the acknowledgement that the world is bigger than ourselves. That opens the floodgates for us to pray on behalf of others. And so, Maybe right now is our time of Sabbath. Maybe it's today, Sunday, but also maybe it's right now, this minute is your Sabbath. It's just for us to step back and say, God, you are in control. God, this world is bigger than just me. And I acknowledge this person. And I don't know who that person is for you. Maybe it is a child that you want to pray for feel like you're at the end of your ropes with, that you've tried everything. Maybe it's that person you pray for. Maybe it's that friend that you need solution or reconciliation. Maybe it's from a family member, that there's no peace, there's division. Even in the scriptures, Jesus says it's easy to pray for the ones you love. Even the Pharisees do that. But how about you pray for your enemies? Maybe you do pray for a loved one today. So may this space, just for a moment before we go back into music, we acknowledge that this world is bigger than ourselves. And we trust God because God is in control with this person, whoever that is for you. Let me start us off by prayer. God, thank you so much. We're going to take a moment to pray by name the people that you stir us with that person, daughter, son, friend, dad, mom, that in our prayer, we don't know how it's going to unfold, that what we do know is that you, the creator of the universe that loves us so much, will intervene and do something on their behalf. That person may not know it, that person may not even believe it, that person may not even have the faith to believe it, but we believe for them because you are a big guy. Bring us people to pray for. In your name we pray, amen.